Welcome, and thank you for joining me on Heal, Love, and Grow with Hasina. One of the greatest fears when seeing a physician is hearing those three words, you have cancer. Five years ago, on January 11th, 2017, I was told those very exact words. In this episode, I will take you through my cancer journey and how it gave me a renewed outlook on life. From the spiritual awakening of a meditation to being deformed and how it taught me important lessons we could all benefit from in life. At the end of this episode, I will share some of the outrageous things I have been asked and told that you should never say to a cancer patient, and some of the things that you can do and say that can truly help someone going through this illness, that can provide a great deal of comfort, whether it is for you or someone you love. It was a Sunday morning in October of 2016, and I was sitting in church, trying to pay attention to the sermon, when my mind suddenly switched into a meditative state. Now, anyone that has tried any form of meditation knows that body scanning is a very common practice. So here I am, my mind wanting to focus on a body scan. And as I went through each part of my body, I became stuck on the chest area. It wasn't like a block of a chakra, but something had pulled my awareness to my chest. A common practice in meditation and spiritual awareness is to ask what these signs mean. So I did. It was like someone was yelling in my ears. All I could hear from within was, you need to get checked for cancer. My heart started racing. There was no way my body was telling me I had the big C. I felt like I was going crazy, looking around frantically at those around me, wondering if anyone noticed how uncomfortable I had just become. Thankfully, no one noticed. I anxiously waited for the end of service and dashed out the front doors before I could get caught up in any kind of a conversation. There I was, sitting in my car, and I dialed my family doctor, leaving her a message that I needed to see her urgently. When I got the call back the very next day, the receptionist had asked why I needed to see her. I was booked in for the following morning. I sat in the seat adjacent from my family doctor and told her of my meditation two days prior. Knowing I had been very spiritual and this was not the first time I had a sign from the universe, she had agreed to send me for a mammogram. It took three requests by my doctor before I was seen by the mammography clinic. They had lost my request, but I was more persistent. It was December 8th by the time I had finally had my scan. At this point, I had already had abnormal blood work and a request to be seen by a surgical oncologist. With my family history of breast cancer, it wasn't unreasonable that my doctor agreed to have me see someone about proactive measures and genetic testing. As I had my mammogram and the most uncomfortable feeling of my chest being squashed between two very cold metal plates, like a panini in a presser, I listened to the tech tell me about how I needed to change my diet and what I could do to cure myself. I hadn't even finished my testing 
and she was already inadvertently telling me I had cancer. I spent the next two weeks waiting for results, only to be told they forgot my file and it was now the holidays. Now, I'm quite the advocate for myself and I wasn't allowing some holiday to stop me from getting my care. Within hours, I had been booked for my follow-up ultrasound. It was 8 a.m. December 23rd, 2016. I was prepped and waiting very impatiently for the ultrasound. It didn't help my anxiety that three techs and the head of radiology all came in mumbling words to each other and then finally telling me I needed to go straight to my family doctor where my results would be awaiting me. This had me spiraling out of control, my mind racing, thinking the worst. I arrived at my doctor's office, tears filled my eyes, thinking of... Aliana and how she would be motherless and how I would break it to her. And then there I was in front of my doctor and nothing. The hospital had forgot to send the report again. My family doctor tried to reassure me that no news was good news and to try and enjoy the holidays. My anxiety had come down several notches, but there was still a pit in my stomach. As I went through the weekend hosting my annual Christmas dinner and attending Christmas Eve service, I tried to thank God for the no news is good news and tried to enjoy the rest of the holidays. On Tuesday, December 27th, I woke to several missed calls from the mammography clinic. They apologized for not sending the report, but needed to schedule a biopsy, one that could only be done with seeing a surgeon which conveniently wasn't available until the new year. Now, anyone that has been told they need a scan or a test to test for possible cancer, but has to wait, knows how difficult this waiting game can be. That's why in the cancer world, we call this scanxiety. It's a real thing. I spent the next week crying, praying, and mostly panicking. The surgeon who was to sign off on the biopsy, had reassured me on multiple occasions that the suspicious findings were so normal and that he could almost guarantee it was not cancer. Phew! I felt a sigh of relief for those next two days. That was until my biopsy. The day of my biopsy, I had been surrounded by my mother, my daughter Aliana, and one of my closest and dearest friends, Maria, I tried to put on a brave face as I sat in the waiting room, only breaking down as the technician explained the procedure and the discomfort I would feel. I laid there flat on the table and just kept repeating, it's just microcalcifications, it's not cancer. A few minutes later, the radiologist advised I would need to come back next week for another biopsy as she had been busy with other patients. What do you mean, come back? I had to wait again? On the 11th of January, I had my proactive consultation with the surgical oncologist. I had decided, since I was rarely in Toronto, that I would make the most of the day. I got dressed in a cute sweater, wore my favorite jeans, and my stylish suede heeled boots. I had made plans to meet up with friends and even booked an appointment with another specialist that afternoon, trying to kill two birds with one stone, as I figured with the biopsies being done so recently, no results would be in, and so this would be a quick in-and-out appointment. 
I remember it so clearly. I sat in room two, waiting for what seemed like hours before a male medical student came in. He started off talking about my cancer and how to proceed. My face turned so pale as I looked at him, hoping he had made a terrible mistake. What was he talking about? I didn't have cancer. He must have had someone else's file. You could see the discomfort in his body as he looked at my chart and looked at my face, then checked my wristband and excused himself from the room to get the surgeon. I grew nervous as I waited for the surgeon to enter. The door opened and there stood the oncologist, a tall brunette with glasses and a grim look on her face. Has no one called you to tell you? We got your biopsy results. I suddenly felt faint as she said those three dreaded words, you have cancer. I looked down at my phone, six missed calls from my family doctor. That was confirmation enough. The next several hours were spent listening to the type of breast cancer I had and how it was a grade three, which is not a good grade to have. But it was detected early and it was only microinvasive, which means it hadn't started to spread yet. I explained how I found out through a meditation and suddenly I was being referred to the cancer psychiatrist. By the end of the day, I had seen the genetic specialist been poked and prodded and given enough literature on breast cancer that I could write a book. But I had already made my decision. Watching my grandmother go through it years ago, I wanted it removed and to live as long as possible. As I went home, I had contacted my mother, my brother, and Maria. When I arrived, Maria had already been waiting at my driveway. She had waited outside until I had broken the news to Aliana. Before she started giving me a pep talk on how I was going to beat this, starting with her homemade soup for energy and strength, that was the Italian in her. I had been puzzled that Aliana had no reaction to the news. So a few days later, while laying in bed, I had asked her, what she had felt. That is when she asked permission to swear and broke down. Her faith shattered, anger for having to see her mother suffer and the feeling of being overwhelmed had taken over her. I had no answers myself, but I knew then I needed to be strong. If for anyone, for her. I started to break the news to family. And one of the first things I got told was, don't worry, everyone gets cancer. It's not a big deal. Not the pep talk I needed to hear from those close to me. It was over the next month that I had truly seen who was there for me, as Maria came several times to bring food and check in daily. Others were scared of what I would look like and avoided me, like suddenly a diagnosis would make me look like some monster alien with extra tentacles growing then there also came the miracles, like my friend Jackie, who I really only knew through parties and social events. Jackie had called me to invite me to one of her birthday parties when I told her I was in no mood to attend after my diagnosis. Within a day of that call, Jackie had made plans to move in and help care for me, my daughter, and our dog 
so I could focus on recovery. My father and stepmother had flown in for two weeks after my surgery to help out. I remember mornings where my dad sat with me in my room watching me get sick from the anxiety and holding my hair ready with a glass of water and some fruity drink he would assure me would boost my energy. The universe provided me with many angels on earth during this difficult time. February 10th, 2017, I sat in the waiting room of Mount Sinai Hospital. Aliana, my mom, Maria, and her husband Frank by my side. Tension was high in those sterile hallways that Aliana and I had become all too accustomed to. Aliana had attended many appointments with me during this month, a decision I had made after she openly expressed that knowing was going to lessen her anxiety about what was happening. Thankfully, my medical team was also on board. So the day of surgery when a nurse refused to allow Aliana into the waiting room with me, my doctor quickly intercepted and made sure she was there by my side. In an attempt to lighten the mood, I dressed in my pre-op gown and slippers, pretending to be Cinderella going to the ball, hoping to get a chuckle out of Aliana, only to realize the entire waiting room had broken out into laughter, and just for a moment, the tension in the room lifted. I got into my chariot, the hospital wheelchair, and was taken by Aliana and my surgeon to the doors of the operating room. Aliana was my motivation to get better and to fight with everything I had. I kissed Aliana goodbye, reassuring her everything would be all right. And as she left, I held onto my chest and cried as part of how I identified as a woman was now being taken away from me. For the first month, I refused to look at my body in the mirror. I felt angry and hopeless. Though I had been given the great news that my surgery was a success and nine tumors were found during my bilateral mastectomy and all of it was removed, I still felt like life was unfair. Why me? During my recovery, I had spent my days focusing on planning and booking my victory trip across Europe, not knowing what the results were at the time. I only knew I wanted to create as many memories with Aliana as I possibly could. That was the one blessing I had that helped me not fall into a dark rabbit hole. The year had been marked as one of the most worst years of my life. I had been not only diagnosed with cancer, but with organ failure in my right ear, had a cardiac arrest on my victory trip in Europe that summer, and another relapse of transverse myelitis. And at the end of the year, I buried my grandmother. That was on top of having surgery for reconstruction of my breast that was botched by the plastic surgeon, causing a deformity. No plastic surgeon in the greater Toronto area would touch me. I had been in pre-operating rooms where doctors would suddenly not operate, and I spent months trying to plead my case to the College of Physicians and Surgeons, and even with my doctor's full support, it didn't matter. On top of going through cancer and losing my breasts, I had to deal with the botched surgery that made me deformed 
and no one was taking responsibility or offering to help fix me. I had been ashamed of my body, spoke down to myself, and even believed I may have done something to deserve this. I carried this guilt and shame, even after finding a surgeon who was willing to operate. It took two more surgeries to repair the damage, and to this day, I am still deformed. I first told my story at a breast cancer retreat in September of 2018, where I realized I wasn't the only one. I knew I had to talk about what I went through so I could help others avoid what I had experienced. If that's all I got out of it, at least I knew it wasn't all done in vain. Then, one day my personal support worker took me in front of the mirror. There I stood naked and she had me look at my scars that replaced where my breasts once were. My head felt light. I felt faint again. And as she held me, I folded into her arms crying. Enraged and disgusted, I wanted to turn away. Each day, she did the same thing, saying, You are not your scars. You are so much more. Those affirmations seemed futile words at the time, but came to ring so true. I knew loving myself, flaws, scars, and all was the only way to heal. All of us have scars and things we don't like about ourselves. Whether we see them as physical scars or they're buried deep within us. We are so critical of ourselves and we punish ourselves for not being or looking perfect. We set an unrealistic bar that is unattainable. We carry these false images of what we should look like based on social media and what the world perceives as perfect. And then we criticize ourselves even more. Our scars are a reminder of the battles we have won and the strength within us. They are what makes us unique and beautiful, for no two people are exactly alike. There are two quotes I held dear to me after this diagnosis, which I would love to share with anyone struggling to be kind to themselves and wanting to give up. The first is, you've survived 100% of your worst days. And the second, how cool is it that the same God who created mountains and oceans and galaxies looked and thought the world needed one of you too? Don't waste it. You can interchange God with universe, divine, or whatever higher power you believe in. But just think about that for a moment. I've embraced the scars and often wear my famous shirt about how my breasts are fake because the real ones tried to kill me. As a Southeast Asian, we're told often not to speak of our problems, hoping they will disappear or others won't find out about it. But I'm breaking that barrier and opening up about it. I'm not shying away or being ashamed anymore of having cancer or what was taken away from me because I got a second chance at life and I'm here today five years later because of the choices I made, and that is worth smiling and talking about. So before I end, I promise to entertain you with some of the things not to say to a cancer patient. And yes, 
These are questions and statements people have actually made to me directly. Here are my top 10. Number 10. You haven't lost your hair yet. When will that happen? Number 9. Everyone has cancer. It's not a big deal. Number 8. You don't look sick. Number 7. How long do you have to live? Number 6. Are you sure it's cancer and you're just not wanting to do what Angelina Jolie is doing? Number 5. Someone has done evil eye on you. Number 4. This is your karmic debt. Number 3. Who will take care of Aliana when you pass? Number 2. You should try this diet. And number 1. So-and-so's sister, mother, or aunt had breast cancer, and they died. Please, if any of these come to mind when speaking to a cancer patient, stop. Do and say anything else. Now, what can you say or do? Here are a few suggestions. Offer to cook a meal. Offer to drive them to an appointment. Get them a warm blanket or slippers. Ask how they're feeling that day and be specific. Offer to be a listening ear. Ask if you can help find resources or organizations that can help support them. Offer to watch their little ones or furry friends, if you can, while they go to rest or go to an appointment. Send funny memes or videos, but not cancer-related. Let them know you're cheering them on. Or just be there in any way that shows you genuinely care. Hope that helps. You can always reach me at Heal, Love, and Grow with Hasina on Instagram or Facebook if you have any questions or ever need support in your cancer journey or helping a loved one with theirs. Thank you and until next time.